This is Draco Malfoy and the Mirror of Isidaru by Star Bridget. Chapter 6 Dittany. It hurt too much to sleep. He had been grateful for the vials of numbing potion from his mother, but they didn't last long, and now he would have preferred a sleeping draught or dreamless sleep if he could come by it. Even with a muffliata around his bed and a spelunker secure keeping the curtains closed as tightly as an imaginary room with virtual walls, he felt irrationally no less secure against observation or intrusion. He'd slept with more charms than these on his bedroom, in the months of Malfoy Manor's occupation, and still not felt safe, although any sane person would be more afraid of a great, hideous, rabid snake-man and his merry band of lunatics than the looming unknown. But there had been comfort, in a way, to know death likely to come so soon, and even with the soul-thinning constant terror of Dementors outside insufficient walls had become monotonous too. He was more adrift than ever, in the same bed from seven years ago, protected by charms he hadn't known, kept awake by a worse pain than this young back had ever known, and fears he had never known either. He had resolved to go see Severus as soon as possible, but it was very late by the time the prefects took them to the first-year dormitory, not at all because of a certain unscheduled half-hour break in proceedings. Draco's own exhaustion as well as the hour made him judge it prudent to wait until tomorrow, when he could catch Severus more awake, and likely in a better mood to deal with an unbelievable conundrum. Draco would go up to him after the potions period on his schedule, and make an appointment to meet privately in Severus's chambers, as they had a few times over the years in Draco's first time at Hogwarts. Then he would sit in one of those ugly but surprisingly comfortable leather chairs before Severus's enchanted green fire, and Draco would be unburdened of everything. Tomorrow. He had thought himself exhausted, but he could never quite drop off all the way to sleep, shifting from position to position under the covers, kicking them off and then on, and finding each a bit more comfortable for a time. It was enough to convince himself maybe he could find sleep with each, only for any blissful drowsiness to be chased away by another stab of pain in his back. Apart from internal injuries, likely negligible, the issue was how the skin had been broken, in a way beyond healing charms Draco knew, to the point he would have almost been better off with broken bones. He knew two different spells for that, but only Tergio to clean the caked blood off his back, and nothing to make the cuts go away. The scourging brush of Tergio only made the stinging worse in its wake. He wondered if non-magically inflicted wounds were inherently more difficult to heal than magical means, not that he had anywhere near the knowledge of healing magic he should rightly have acquired, for someone who had spent so many years surrounded by suffering and death. But father and friends had always been more interested in teaching Draco how to cause that suffering. If only he knew that healing spell Severus used on him in Myrtle's bathroom, that would have been something. As it was, he would have to just bear it. He didn't relish the idea of seeing Severus in potions without sleep let alone trying to hold himself together all day under this steadily throbbing pain. Maybe once he saw Severus, he would have the nerve to ask for healing, to get rid of these marks before they got infected or scarred. But that prospect seemed unbearably far away. He should not have let Severus go off and die that first time around, without teaching him that spell. It hadn't just been the singing incantation that had lessened the pain from Potter's curse in sixth year, though. 
It had also been dittany. The herb itself rubbed into the wounds, said both to limit pain and scarring. He only ever saw much evidence of the first, but then there was no telling how much worse the scars could have been without it. Severus hadn't begrudged him a liberal supply of it in the weeks that followed, turning a blind eye when he must surely have noticed Dittany missing from his potion storeroom and been able to guess the culprit as his godson. In all six years at Hogwarts, Draco had not been in Severus's storeroom very often, but he had been allowed there more than most any other student, and he had never seen Severus to have changed that meticulous organisation once. The Dittany might be in the same place. It was funny... How past a certain point, even the most paralysing inertia and cowardice could be forced into motion, despite itself, from sheer discomfort. He pulled a heavy Slytherin green robe over his Slytherin green silk pyjamas. Being sorted into any other house would have required an inconveniently large share of colour-based transfiguration, and laced his trainers over his bare feet. A look around showed he hadn't woken any of the other boys, and he found sneaking out of the dormitory easier in this small body. He'd never been so undisciplined as to roam the halls after hours like this during first year, save in righteously tracking the illicit activities of Potter. But he had found reasons to in later years, before he left Hogwarts for good. None of the mental maps had faded with either an intervening year or the impossible snap backwards into his old body. He could have made his way through the many meandering labyrinthine paths between the dorms and the potions area in pitch darkness. He did in all but that dimming his lumos to the minimum and letting the pathways be lit, mostly by the pretty midnight blue glow of the lake, swimming over the walls sometimes from outside, or just the light of memory, his footsteps charmed silent. He tried to focus on the water's glow and not the aura of prolonged pain that felt like it was starting to envelop his body like a snare. Severus had a standard collaportus on the door to his stores, of course, as well as an anti Homora charm and a few other less common spells, which had increased in number after some incidents with stealing in fourth year, but wouldn't be so plentiful now. Draco had found little trouble working around whatever was there, given the ease with which all of the charms personalised to Severus's blood could be bypassed by Draco just the same, with the magical blood connection of being named Godson. He lifted his wand to the uninviting blank door and closed his eyes, then pressed the fingers of his left hand to the stone along with his wand and whispered, Draco Malfoy, godson to Severus Snape, sanguinare. The door opened to him without any more exertion needed. He tried to increase the power of the Lumos slightly, with which Aunt Bella's wand of course meant a supernova, but he managed to coax it down before he made his wincing, limping way around several sets of shelves and two corners right to the Dittany. It had to be on a shelf low enough to make him bend, but he couldn't have everything. And he did find the herb, mercifully bountiful in supply, given how early it was in the school year. He'd had vague half-formed fears about Professor Sprout and harvesting times in the herbology greenhouses, but there the flowers were, as perfect violet-pink as if fresh-picked. Draco took as much as he dared, whispering Defindo each time to sever the flowers from the stems that he wanted, and then leaves from that stem, gathering the leaves, careful not to crush them. Evanesco, he whispered, waving his wand widely to vanish the discarded plant parts that would be evidence, and was absurdly proud of himself for not having managed to let his overzealous wand vanish all the rest of the dittany with them. He thought maybe he should apply the dittany here, 
and not in his bed, at least the first time, to make sure it would be enough or would even work with non-magical wounds. Perhaps he should look for any healing or sleeping varieties of potion he could find here that weren't up in the medical bay, if ransacking multiple areas wouldn't be pushing his luck too far. But Severus wouldn't expect a first year to steal from him. Draco straightened up and pocketed his pouch of dittany leaves, deciding to risk taking dreamless sleep from the shelves if he could find any, only to start backwards and nearly upend the entire shelf behind him when he saw the man he was robbing standing right behind him. <gasps> Severus! he gasped, stumbling and steadying himself and the shelf before the worst came, though he dropped his wand in the process. Severus picked it up with an unreadable look on his lumos-shadowed face. Clad in the same billowing head-to-toe black robes, it seemed he had been born and died in. Draco looked from Severus's face to his wand in Severus's hand and back to each again, and knew he should be afraid with this tableau. And yet, the most ridiculous urge to hug Severus was the feeling that surged up to dominate in him, the need to seize Severus and scream, You're alive, you're alive! Thank you, I'm sorry. He reached for his most formidable occlumency shields. Not that he felt Severus trying to poke at his mind, just regarding him with that unimpressed expectant expression, more fearsome than screaming or threats could ever be. Merlin Draco had missed him. Did you imagine? Severus finally began when Draco did not start stammering the apologies one might have expected. That you could steal from my stores and not get caught. The last three words of the question were dragged out like individual threats in their own right. Severus's atonal musical intonation, intimately associated with the heat and smells of potion making forever in Draco's hind brain. Hearing them made Draco feel like some Celestina Warbeck superfan, witnessing her striking up one of her greatest hits in concert for the first time. That was if that singer had also recently suffered a death and resurrection. It almost made Draco laugh. It almost made Draco laugh. Imagining Severus's horror should he catch an inkling of how elated Draco was to be menaced by him again. I don't know, Draco broke off before calling him Severus again. I don't know, sir. Severus wasted only a few more seconds staring at him searchingly with that hawk-like face, before turning his attention to Draco's wand. The sight of it in the hand of almost anyone else would have set Draco alight with panic, even if it was father or mother, but not Severus. Did you believe? Severus intoned, expressiveness now flattened in each word to form a tunnel-like incision of curt superiority, that your new proclivity for unsupervised magic experimentation would have passed unknown to me, Draco. Did you believe it would surprise me for you to make use of that brief foolishness that allowed your mother to persuade me to be named your godfather in order to get yourself into further situations of disrepute? And did you believe I would not make precautions to detect such stupidity on your part? Yes, Draco should have considered that. The thought of father being the one to warn Severus of Draco's unseemly behaviour was less amusing than his own folly, but it was worth a great deal of unpleasantness for the privilege of having Severus insult him again. I'm not surprised, Draco, not surprised in the least. 
only that you would be so brazen as to attempt such idiocy on the very first night. In the middle of the night, caught stealing with two wands pointed at him, his back on fire, seven years before his own time. And yet, Severus's sibilance, rising from calculated dullness to a crescendo of perfectly pitched disdain, felt like being washed in sunlight. Safe, Draco thought, staring up with treacherous hope threatening to spark. Safe. For the first time since taking the mark, he could think the word of himself and feel it true, because he had made it to scowling, oily-haired Severus, viciously unpleasant as ever. He had made it to safety. Professor, Draco said evenly, trying to think how eleven-year-old Draco would have responded to such vitriol, definitely with at least some proportion of cowering, but there wasn't any point keeping up with the facade, now that he could do what he had waited a month for, and let another living soul in on the truth. Professor, that all, it doesn't matter, I need to speak with you anyway, as soon as I could. I have something I need to tell you, something important, something happened to me a month ago, something... He didn't know how to begin. He should have planned this out in more detail, except he'd expected to have until sometime tomorrow with the sting of the cuts on his back gone. Something that made me... different. I'm not the person you knew any more. Not that Draco had known Severus extremely well before he came to Hogwarts. But the godson that Severus had met at least a few times a year growing up had virtually ceased to exist in this body. I have a secret. And you're the only one here I can trust to tell. Just you. Dispense with those grandiose proclamations, Draco. Severus said with an almighty roll of his eyes and a stylish sweeping flip back of his robe sleeve that Draco had tried and never quite managed to replicate. I know exactly of what you speak. Kindly spare me any further equivocation. You, you do? Draco heard his childish voice go even higher and thinner in disbelief because he knew Severus was brilliant, but he hadn't thought he could figure it out so quickly without Draco telling him some of it. Had his legilimency pierced Draco's mind earlier, perhaps in that agonising stretch with the sorting hat, without Draco realising? Had all of Draco's secrets already been delivered on a platter, and it only awaited to follow whatever instructions Severus saw fit to get him home? Could Severus already have a plan in place to fix this? I should have known you would, sir. Severus eyed him with an infinitely cool remoteness assessment seeming to end there, before offering Draco back his wand. This wand, Draco, even if I had not already been this, told the story of your mistake, do you think I could not look at this misshapen twig and recognise the stench of Bellatrix Lestrange on the walnut? Disappointment surged through Draco as surreal and absurd a deflation as a thousand children's balloons at once. Every fanciful animal shape he remembered from Vince's eleventh birthday party he hadn't attended this time around, finding a place inside his chest, only to get popped and unceremoniously blown away, indistinguishable from scraps of rubbish without the air in them. Yes, Professor, Draco said quietly and took his wand back from him. What? Severus hissed, leaning down to cast his malignant stare more expectantly on Draco's disappointed face. What boy were you ever thinking to take up this wand as your own? 
Draco felt a thrum of pain surge in his back and had to struggle not to grab his knees and hunch over. I didn't know whose it was. I still don't know what it means to have someone else's wand, even Aunt Bella's. Aunt Bella earned a twitch of the eyebrow from Severus for what had perhaps been a slip of the tongue on Draco's part to speak of her with familiarity. But what was he supposed to call his mother's sister? The dread dark witch Lestrange? Except that it won't tend to work as well. But this one works better than... than my last one, he almost said. Than any ha ever has for me before, he finished lamely. Just harder to control its power, sir. But is there something evil about the one, sir? Does some of the personality, or the dark magic, or the legacy of the deeds it committed linger on it? Or is it wrong to use, if Aunt Bella might get out of Azkaban some day and want it back? Best to be clear out of the past by then. You will not. Severus groaned, disdain bleeding through more and more clearly as he straightened up. Suddenly be possessed by someone else's magic or personality through their wand, Draco, however dark they were. If your father has been feeding your mind with such nonsense, speedily disabuse yourself of it. It is the wand that has a personality of its own, a magic that chose Bellatrix and has now chosen you. A jealous magic, it would seem, by your father's rendition of your squib-like performance with any other wand. Severus snorted mirthlessly at Draco's surprised look. Yes, Draco, your father saw fit to consult me in the wake of these events, on the misguided notion that there might be some potion to sever the bond. The contempt for that notion was stronger in his voice than it had ever been for Draco. There is not, naturally. I could only advise him, as I will advise you, that your magic may grow strong enough in time, perhaps two or three years, and likely by the time you are grown to at least make some use of other wands. Or not so likely, given that Draco happened already to be grown, but he appreciated the show in faith in him but that at a delicate age, when your magic is so thoroughly entangled with this wand, the only solution that remains is to make use of what you have been given, and wait. Oh, Draco said softly, staring at his feet in shame for his transgression that he had never felt an ounce of when faced with his father. I'm sorry, sir. A curious situation, Severus mused, for this wand to have chosen you, Draco, and at such a young age. One would never have expected your magic to have the strength. Draco feared for a frozen moment that Severus's logic was leading him on the track of his secret, before reminding himself that he meant to tell Severus anyway, any second now. But Severus was already moving on. None of that is sufficient explanation, not even to speak of justification for further covert activity surrounding potions. What is it of mine, Draco Malfoy, that you have in your pocket? Severus wouldn't have seen which of the herbs and flowers on the shelf Draco had taken. With a more humiliating sort of shame, Draco produced the pouch and handed it over to Severus. Well cut. Severus observed with a frown, before bringing one of the leaves to his hooked nose and sniffing it. Nothing on the shelf was toxic, 
nor did it take more than a second for both of those eyebrows to raise, contemptuous poise on that familiar face changing to something more clouded. Dittany. He stared for a long moment at the first year before him, then instructed, Follow me. Draco did. He knew the way to Severus's chambers without being led, and the sight of that charmed flame in the high serpentine fireplace, less grand and yet somehow dearer, turning green at once, and then more intensely at the entrance of two Slytherins. He felt his throat choke up, enough that he was grateful to be guided to the old leather armchair he remembered so well. But he was not left there for long. Show me, Severus said simply, and with a sinking heart, Draco took off his robe and pyjama shirt before turning to show Severus the marks on his back, on the calculation that the further humiliation of their display would be worth the amelioration Severus could deliver, and that Severus had seen through him regardless already. He heard Severus draw in a sharp breath, sounding more surprised than Draco would have expected. Then he supposed that Father had never been so immoderate as to deliver such a beating anywhere close to Draco's returns to Hogwarts. Strange as it was, he had only once turned to Severus for help with an injury, and Draco hadn't had much to do with being saved from Potter's curse, just laid there and tried to die. What caused these? Severus asked with a briskness Draco appreciated. A cane, Draco answered honestly. I mean, a, a walking stick, which effectively confirmed the perpetrator, but it wasn't like Severus wouldn't have guessed. This morning... Have these abrasions been treated? Severus asked, still businesslike, and Draco shook his head, glad that the location of the wounds meant he didn't have to look Severus in the eye. No, only... My mother gave me two vials of numbing potion, Draco admitted. I'm already out. And heard Severus heave one of those long sighs of his that seemed to contain all the disappointment of untold centuries within its stretch. Do you think it will scar? Hence the ditany, Severus said, amusement creeping into his voice for the first time, which made Draco's chest feel warm. It was always a triumph to make Severus laugh, or so much as crack a half-smile, even if this was at his own expense. Of course, vain boy. And for the pain, Draco added reluctantly, doesn't it help with that as well? He tried to sound brave but failed as usual, and his voice cracked as he said, It hurts, sir. One can imagine, Severus added dryly, and then it began. The lilting, humming sound of that song Draco only remembered in blurry swatches of light, the feel of water pouring over him and blood pouring out, but Severus's strong presence smelling of bitter herbs there above him, meaning safety from death, even if he did not entirely want it. The song went on less time than it had for the wounds from Septum Sempra, naturally, though Draco remembered it being performed three times in succession, the first time to stop any blood flow, the second to clear the residue, Draco had surely only worsened that part with his inept tergio charm, and the third to finally stitch the rent skin back together. The explanation Severus had delivered back then came in pieces to him, though he had barely listened, outrage as much as agony too dominant in him to listen much to the answer to his haughty question, why Severus had to keep doing this over and over by the third time. Like the first time, Severus waited between each time, 
an impatient stretch in which the sting was still right there on the outermost layer of skin, but lessening with each sound Severus made. You were right to pick Dittany. Severus informed him and squeezed some of the leaves into a paste before carefully applying them by hand to the closed wounds. Draco bit back a gasp of further pain and focused instead on the touch, the surreal physical proof that Severus was indeed alive and instructing him in potions again, if he couldn't have that hug he had first imagined as confirmation. You should have one of your friends apply it each night for a week and then return to me to check it. Draco's ostentatious silence at that told its own story. Too proud to show one of your friends these marks, Draco. I don't have any friends, Draco said sullenly, but I can put it on myself. And Severus did laugh aloud then. No change in you is there, vain boy, Severus mused, still so infernally dramatic, and finished the application. Draco dressed himself and turned in the chair, almost delirious with the relief now of the healing and herbs, the pain far from absent still, but surely now he could at least sleep, and Severus was waving him away with an imperious hand. Go on, Draco, back to your friends, Severus ordered, and don't think if you get caught sneaking back in that I'll protect you. And had Draco clambering to his feet before he remembered. Wait, Draco said, please wait. I'm sorry to disturb you, sir. Just one more thing. What was he meant to say? I'm really 18, but I'm back in my old body and I need your help getting back so that Harry Potter can kill a resurrected Voldemort without me messing everything up. More simply, bring me a pensive and trust the memories are real and that I haven't just been bewitched or gone mad from this wand or something my father did. Or just, here's my mind. Occlumency shields down, cast legilimens and let me show you how we killed Albus Dumbledore together, beloved godfather. Want to see how you die? Want to help me make sure it happens exactly the same all over again? What? Severus barked, impatient at any unnecessary delay and Draco couldn't tell him. Can I have a sleeping potion? he asked meekly, and was grudgingly granted a vial of Mertlap essence to help apply with the pain, and no dreamless sleep at all. He would tell Severus, just later. After his wound healed enough for his mind to be clear, and his story to be convincing, it would be better to wait until then, or Severus would never believe him. It was the right thing to do, to wait. Thank you for listening to this chapter of Draco Malfoy and the Mirror of Isidaru by Star Bridget.